Giannis, 15. Respect all, fear none. Oh my goodness. Intensity is not a perfume. Take that home run chain back. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you back on the couches, which means I get to show off my brand new orange kicks, Brendan. Yeah, those I, things are bright. I got four compliments on this yesterday walking around Camden Yards. So, um, yeah, I think they're off to a good start here. I think, uh, I, think I nailed it. Sure. With the pick there, Brendan. I mean, you have blinded the viewers <laughs> at home here and the and the cameras, but yeah, I did yeah. get a couple. Whoa! Did you just take those out of the box, and I said, "Yes, I did." They, yeah, they are. They ordered are them online. I'm just saying, Melanie Newman, you know, may have some competition for best shoe game. Yes, yeah. uh, at uh, Camden Yards. I'm I'm just saying, could be. You know, maybe we uh, start a friendly rivalry there. Have to one up each other. Sure. I mean, you would lose, but you know, I probably would. Some rivalries. Can be lopsided. You, that's okay. You've got the orange accent on yours, Brendan. Right. I'm more of a pop of color kind of guy. You do. Every time I I ask for your advice in buying clothing, mostly yeah. shoes, you always yeah. say, "Don't don't go for the solid, you know, wow color." Right. Just pop of color, right? Right. And and you didn't listen to that advice in any no. way, shape, or form with these shoes, but you know, I got to blaze my own path, Brendan. You do. And uh, yeah. in this case, it's all orange. It's a bright orange. It path. works for Syracuse. It's it's a uh, you know it's a multifaceted uh, right. Uh, response there. Uh, Brendan, I want to shout out somebody uh, who had a nice review for us. Uh, it hardly ever happens. I know. It's usually mean ones. Yeah, it is. But it was a nice review from Matthew uh, and then a bunch of numbers. Then Guy, uh, he said, fave podcast ever. They know their stuff. Uh, he says, pancakes for the win. Uh, and he said, anyway, this comment could be read aloud on the pod. It would make my step uncle's day. We bond over the Orioles and this podcast, which is really nice. So that is thank really you. Nice. Um, Thanks, had to shout, had to shout him out. And of course, if you have a good review, maybe you can get yourself on the Master and All Access podcast. Because there are so few of them that we have <laughs> so to read few. the ones that are good. We read the nice comments as they come in. We do, although they are few and far between. Right. Uh, but thank you very much for that compliment. All right, Brendan. We don't have a softball update, so we might as well just get into the thing. No. For some reason, last night's beautiful day meant to rain out for our softball league collusion i think i was gonna work and so maybe i pulled some strings behind the scenes yeah. to keep my cal ripken streak intact. collusion on your part yes who am i colluding with i don't know the league i guess so yeah i mean i was gonna miss the game so and i have to keep the streak intact you do so i had to pull some strings all right brendan uh let's talk orioles and this incredible start to the season 15 and 7 yeah is the baltimore orioles record at this point at this point last year you know what their record was not good. Eight and fourteen. Not great. You know what fifteen and seven is a pace is on pace for? Better than eight and fourteen? Well, no, I mean extrapolate it throughout the entire season. Yeah, I, I, what I the know. what the pace is. I was trying to be funny. Oh, okay. Uh, well it is better than that. It's a hundred and ten win season. <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily gonna happen. Could. It could. It could. You never know. It's an absolutely scorching start to the season for the Baltimore Orioles. They're yeah. hitting the cover off the ball. After some shaky performances to start the season from some pitchers, we've seen them settle down a little bit. We're seeing them beat up on some bad teams. We're going to talk about how much this hot start can be tacked up to the result of the Orioles having a very soft schedule. But we do need to give credit to the Orioles where it's due 
for beating the teams on their schedule. They have looked like a very, very good baseball team through the season's first three to four weeks. Yeah, I think there's a very simple takeaway here, which is that even if you want to make the case that the Orioles are just beating up on some lesser teams, which they kind of have been, good teams beat the teams that they are supposed to beat. Yeah. Which is very simple, but it's what's happening here. The Orioles are a better team than the Athletics. They took three out of four games there. They are better so far than the Chicago White Sox. They take two out of three there, take both games against the Nationals, and sweep the Tigers. Those are four teams that the Orioles are just better than, expect to be better than this season. And if you are going to make the playoffs, you have to take care of business in the series against teams that you are better than. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah, and and last year, I mean... The Orioles lost some games in September that put them out of the race when they were very much in the thick of it. But we've made the case on this podcast all along that if the Orioles had simply started the season better, they would have had a much, much better chance of making the playoffs. Yeah, they went 7-14 and 14 in April. Yeah. And that April stretch included dropping 3-4 of four against the Athletics. And then in mid-May, they got swept by the Tigers. Two teams that they should have beaten early on last year, and they didn't. Yeah. And now they're beating the teams that they need to. And Adley Rutschman, of course, was a big catalyst in that turnaround right. when he joined the team in late May. And they have a much better roster than they do right now. But, Brendan, it is certainly one of the softer parts of the schedule right now. They're playing the Red Sox, which uh, these are the projected preseason win totals, uh, according to Vegas. The Red Sox are projected to win 77 games, Texas, 81 games, Yankees, they're going to be a great team, 94 wins, Washington projected to have the worst record in baseball with 59, Oakland, 59 and a half, Uh, the White Sox, 82 wins, Detroit, 69 wins. So certainly the opponents are weaker. Sure. But Brian Baker said, according to MadisonSports.com's Rockabaco, we used to be the soft part of other teams' schedules. Yeah. These are teams that, these were not guaranteed wins last year or the year before or the year before. And the Orioles simply were not a better team than some of these teams last year or the year before the year before that. Yeah, and even some of the teams early on in the year when the Orioles were floating right around 500, they still took two or three against the Rangers, yep. who have, I believe, a top five record in baseball right now. You didn't get swept by the Yankees, which, you know, you're not going to take a victory lap for taking one of three, but the Yankees are still a very good team, probably one of the best teams in the American League, and you got through that tougher stretch of games. Now you're in the softer stretch, and you've got the third best record in baseball. That's what you're supposed to do when you have a soft part of your schedule. You're supposed to take advantage of it, and you're supposed to give yourself a little bit of a cushion for when the schedule starts to get harder. Yeah, and... and just quite frankly, at this point last year, I wasn't looking at the schedule and saying, well, the Orioles are a better team than the White Sox. They should beat them. Well, the Orioles are a better team than the Rangers. They should beat them. And they changed the narrative. So I look at the schedule so much differently. I, You know, there are so many more teams that I say, the Orioles are better than that team. Yeah. And they should win those games. And so the expectations are higher, certainly. But that's a great thing. That That's how it should be because that means that you have a better team. It means you have a proven track record of being a better team than some of the teams on this list. And the schedule doesn't get harder, really, until the first week of May. They play Detroit after the series against the Red Sox. They go to Detroit for four games to close out April. Then they go at Kansas City, two of the worst teams. I think when all is said and done, those will be two teams with 
pretty poor records in the American League. Yep. Once you get into May, that's when things get a little bit dicier. Because then you go at Atlanta, you're home against the Rays, you're home against the Pirates, who are all of a sudden really good. Yeah. Good for them. Good for the Pirates. Good for the Pirates. I want to say, too, real quick on that note, the Pirates and Orioles are tending to get lumped together when I'm seeing, you know, national media talk about some surprising teams towards the top of the standings this year. Pittsburgh and Baltimore are not in the same place. Baltimore narrowly missed the playoffs last season. Pittsburgh was not a very good team last season. And this is nothing against the Pirates. I mean, they are a very fun story right now. You're having some guys come out of nowhere and have great seasons. Andrew McCutcheon has come back, and he's having a great season so far. Nothing against the Pirates. But the Orioles were maybe not expected to be here, not a top-five record in baseball, but the Orioles were still expected to be good. They were expected to be a fringe playoff team. The Pirates have come out of nowhere. Yeah. So it's a little bit... I don't love seeing the Pirates and the Orioles placed in the same category when they are talked about in a broader baseball media sense. These are two teams in two different places. The Orioles are expecting the win. The Pirates are the more fun story. Yeah, maybe maybe the Pirates are a year behind the Orioles. Yeah, maybe the Pirates are the Orioles of last year. Right. But they are not the Orioles of this year. Right. Yeah, I think the Pirates are still catching up. And we'll see how long that winning lasts for them. It, it may last until the end of the season. They could be in the NL wildcard race by the end of the year. But yeah, I, I agree with you, Brendan. I think the Orioles are certainly built to win longer than the, the Pirates right yeah, now. Absolutely. They're, I, they're a more talented roster, yeah. quite frankly. Um, and there, there are other better teams on the schedule in May. They go at Toronto. They go at New York. Uh, they're home against Cleveland. So there are better teams, not just the Pirates, on their, their May schedule. Right. Yeah, and Brian with a good point on YouTube saying you can't win the season in April, but you can lose it. Yeah. And that's kind of what the Orioles did last year. They went 7-14 and 14 in April, put themselves in a really tough position to make a run down the stretch, and now the Orioles are in a pretty good spot where they can go into the middle part of the season with a lot of momentum if they're able to carry this into May. We're still very early on. This doesn't put you in the playoffs, having the third best record in baseball as the calendar is still in April, but you haven't lost momentum. You haven't put yourself in a tough position where you have to make up a ton of ground at the end of the year. And I can think of two recent examples for that for the Orioles. You can't win the season in April, certainly. We saw the 2017 Orioles Coming off a wild card appearance, they jumped out to a 14-7 and record, much like this team did. And then they struggled mightily, especially in September, and ended up missing the playoffs. They were not, they did not secure their playoff bid just because of a hot start in April. And then, by the same token, you can lose the season in April. Like the team yeah. the year after that, the 2018 Orioles... They dug themselves in such a deep hole in the month of April that things just started to spiral from there. So they did get themselves out of a situation. I do think it's possible to dig yourself out of an early hole, like we saw with the Washington Nationals in 2019. We saw it last year. We saw it with the Phillies. With the Orioles. Yeah, we saw it last year. Where they the, almost made the playoffs, but yeah. starting better now puts you in a much better position. We saw it with the Phillies last year, but they made a change. They fired their manager. So just better to start the season on on fire. Just Hot take. Beat, yeah, right? On fire. Uh, but... Beat the teams that are in front of you. Right. And that's what the Orioles are doing right now. And that's why it's exciting to see. And they look like a good team right now. Mm -hmm. It's not like they're just 
you know, getting lucky in some instances and sneaking away with some wins. They look definitively, in the last several series, they have looked like the better team. They look like a much better team right now, I will say. Again, it's April. They look like a much better team than the Boston Red Sox right now. Yeah, they passed the eye test. I mean, even in last night's game, the Orioles go down four to nothing early, but the offense has been so good that you didn't really think that game was over when the Orioles were down four nothing. And Orioles teams of the past few years, maybe the offense isn't there to come back from an early four to nothing deficit. Maybe the clubhouse chemistry isn't there to believe that you can come down from an early four to nothing deficit. But yesterday, it just didn't feel like the Orioles were out of that game. And then, of course, they weren't. They come back to win. Yeah, and how about the bullpen? Being able to pick up Dean Kramer. And Dean Kramer did a good job bouncing back after giving up four runs in the first three innings. He settled down, and he pitched well for the last couple innings. And then the bullpen, which, again, is down two big arms. They're down Dylan Tate, and they're down Michael Gibbons. Two of the more veteran, experienced arms in this bullpen. And they're still putting up zeros. Yeah. They're asked to do quite a lot. It helped that I think the past week when you look at that the end of that road trip especially in Washington, the Orioles were able to get a couple off days there. The Monday Thursday off day helped and then they were able to get some strong performances from their starters. Guys going deep into games like Kramer, like Gibson that helped rest that bullpen because we saw the first 3 weeks they were being overused and a little bit overtaxed. Now they're a little bit better rested. And they're getting great contributions from guys coming out of nowhere, i.e. Yenyer Cano. Yeah, let's talk about Yenyer. Let's talk about Yenyer. What a dude. What a dude indeed. Seven perfect innings. He has one balk, so I guess you can't call it a perfect inning if he's I mean, got a balk. Uh, maybe. I mean, he still isn't allowed a base runner. Yeah. Right? He hasn't allowed a hit. He hasn't allowed a walk. His whip is zero. I'm thinking if a pitcher pitched a perfect game but had a balk but there'd be nobody on base there'd be nobody on base so i don't know what you can call that i still think you would call it seven perfect innings yeah i well, don't no hits no, no hits. walks no hit by pitches yeah I- incredible stuff from yenyer cano i guess brendan you and i and and everybody in general just didn't learn anything from the felix bautista story because nobody saw this coming yeah and he's come out of nowhere and been phenomenal well look it's hard to see something like this coming. It's yeah. not like <laughs> yeah. we counted Yenny or Cano out. It's just we didn't really count him in. Because at the beginning of the season, it's not like you and I were sitting on these couches bashing Yenny or Cano for his bad numbers. Yenny or Cano just didn't really factor into our conversations very much because when we were looking at the Orioles' bullpen with, at that point, a healthy Michael Givens and we didn't think Dylan Tate would be out terribly long... We were looking at the bullpen and saying, okay, Mike Bauman probably comes in for Dylan Tate, and Yannier Cano is still not on the radar. Yeah. And then some more injuries happen. The Orioles need more bullpen arms. All of a sudden, here's Yannier Cano, and he's really good. Yeah. I mean, he's, again, the, it's not a fluke seven innings, it seems like. He's passing the eye test. Hitters are not... It's not like he's given up a ton of hard contact and just getting lucky and defenders are making great plays behind him. I'm not seeing a couple of those. We've seen a couple of the the line out to end the game last night. But overall, I mean, the nine K's is pretty encouraging. Right. And I'm not going to overreact to seven innings and say that he is the new go to guy in the Orioles bullpen, but he's a go to guy in the Orioles bullpen at this point. I think it's pretty safe to say. Yeah. And it's safe to say, I think once Givens and Tate come back, unless something dramatically changes over the next several weeks and 
Givens is expected to start rehab later this week. He could probably ramp up quicker than Tate, who's expected to start his rehab tonight in Aberdeen. And remember, Tate didn't have any spring training, so he's going to take a while to get back. I think it's safe to say Cano is still going to be part of this bullpen. Oh, yeah. I don't see how he can't be at this point, especially given the fact that there are some bullpen arms that are struggling a little bit right now. Yenier Cano would certainly not be at the top of your list to say, okay, once Dylan Tate comes back, who's going to be out of this bullpen? Because what else would he need to do? Yeah. It, it, continue to not allow any base runners because that's what he's doing right now. It's funny because you see uh, some comparisons. You can draw some comparisons with Felix Bautista, who was added to the 40-man roster because of his strikeout numbers a couple years ago, makes the opening day roster. And because he could throw 100. And because he could throw 100 and yeah. fixes somehow magically in the big leagues, fixes all of his walk issues and his command issues and becomes a dominant reliever and then a closer. You could also make some comparisons to Jorge Lopez. But Jorge Lopez was a starter in the big leagues for several years with the Royals, with the Orioles, struggled in that role and was moved to the bullpen. And you and I said all offseason before the 2022 season that it was likely that Lopez would lead the team in saves yeah. and we could see him really turning his career around. Yeah, not to pat ourselves on the back, but we kind of saw Jorge Lopez coming. Yeah. Maybe not to the extent that we thought he would be an all-star, but we thought he had a chance to be one of the better bullpen arms on the team last year. Yeah, and, and it's funny because Yanir Cano, if you recall, was one of the four pitchers the Orioles got back for Jorge Lopez. Would you look at that? Would you look at that, yeah. in fact? So the Orioles, we, we said when the Orioles traded for him last year, he seemed like the most throw-in of the four pitchers that they got back in that trade. They got a couple low-level prospects. One guy who's down in, was pitching down in the Florida Complex League. Uh, they got another pitcher who's down in Delmarva, I believe. And it just felt like he was the least likely to make a big impact on the team. And then we saw him pitch in three big league games last year, and he really struggled. Yeah, he walked everybody. He walked everybody, and... In his big league experience in 2022 between the Twins and the Orioles, in 18 innings, he gave up 23 runs. It's not good. That is not the same pitcher that we've seen through seven innings this year. Yeah, last year he was the cleanup crew in a very different sense. Yeah. He was the cleanup crew in Brandon Hyde, and the Orioles were down like five runs, and they needed somebody to just come in and eat an inning, and it didn't really matter how many runs Yenier Cano gave up. And now he is the cleanup crew in terms of if you are in a mess in the seventh or eighth inning, Yenner Cano might be the guy. Yeah, it's an incredibly exciting development because you look down the road and you say Tate and Givens are coming back. Honestly, Austin and Voth has pitched better, but Voth has struggled at times. You know, it makes it a little bit easier to send somebody down. Voth doesn't have any options, but somebody else who may have options, send them down because you feel better about Yenner Cano. The yeah. Orioles are just loaded in terms of bullpen options. The emergence of Michael, or sorry, the emergence of Mike Bauman yeah. has been a major development as well. Danny Coulomb. Let's talk about Danny Coulomb and real quick. Unbelievable stat cast page. Look at Danny Coulomb's stat cast, and it is yeah. covered with red. He is in the 99th percentile in average, average exit velo. Yep. Expected batting average, expected slugging percentage, 95th and K percentage, 100th percentile in hard hit percentage. That means he probably hasn't given up a single hard hit. No. He's 93rd percentile in barrel percentage, 99th in expected slug. I mean, everything. Everything is good for Danny Coulomb. His worst uh, percentile ranking 
on StatCast is his walk rate, which is a, a laughably terrible 75th percentile. Got to give the Orioles credit for identifying him right before opening day as somebody that they should go out and trade for. How do they keep doing this? They keep doing it. It's a good scouting department. Yeah. A good major league scouting in a program headed up by Mike Snyder, and it's good job by Michael Elias to go out and realize that they can develop this guy. Yeah, because you and I are not scouts. We do our best no, we are with not. the numbers that we have available to us. We try to look at as many advanced metrics as we can on fan graphs, on StatCast, whatever it may be. We do our best to evaluate these players when trades happen. Danny Coulomb was one of those players where you and I were just kind of digging through the advanced metrics, trying to find things on StatCast, and it was one of those trades where you were just like, I don't really know what the Orioles are seeing in right. Danny Coulomb when you're looking at the advanced metrics, but obviously the Orioles were able to identify some things that they knew would be able to translate well to their coaching staff, to the system that they have developed here in Baltimore, and you see the results. Yeah, and we spent all offseason saying he was probably the guy they would cut if they needed a spot on the 40-man. Yeah, because it was like, what, what's Danny Coulomb doing? Yeah, I don't I don't know why this trade happened. I don't know what the Orioles saw. Right. What's going on? Yeah, and, and yet, he's been great so far. Yep. So, it's to say, like you said, Brandon, we're not scouts. Like, it's the same reason that we don't come out with, you know, prospect rankings because we know that, there are, there's a lot that we don't know. Yeah, we do our best to evaluate given the numbers that we have. We right. don't have the information of the organization. Obviously, they saw a lot of things that did not show up on a game-to-game -game basis. Yeah, exactly. Well, something that we can tell you definitively, Jackson Holiday is a good prospect. That's a, a hot take, but... He's I'd, a good young player. Yeah. I'll go... I'll Excellent, some yeah. I'd say. I would turn up the heat on that take. Yeah. Uh Absolutely incredible stuff in 13 games from Jackson Holiday in single-A Delmarva to the point where the Orioles said, you don't need to be in Delmarva anymore. No. Goodbye, Salisbury. Welcome to high-A Aberdeen yeah. for 19-year-old Jackson Holiday. I mean, he had a 523 on-base percentage. <laughs> That's a joke. Yeah. He's 19 playing in Delmarva. I understand that it's, it's low-A Delmarva, but still, he's playing against guys older than him. Still... And he hits 392 with a 523 on base percentage, an OPS over 1,100, more walks than strikeouts. Michael Elias talked about it on Masson's broadcast yesterday, where you're trying to find the right combination between not pushing a guy too far, but still making sure that he is challenged. And remarkably, it did not seem like 19-year-old Jackson Holiday was in any way challenged by the pitching that he was facing in Delmarva. I no. mean, he had a whopping 12 strikeouts and then 14 walks. Yeah. He picked up right where we expected him to pick up yeah. last year. I know his batting average wasn't incredibly high in his small sample size in Delmarva last year, but we figured he was going to be this good considering he was in big league spring training. Yeah, 392 this year is pretty good. Yeah, I would say so. Um, he's been everything that they've expected to him to be and more. The only thing is... Don't expect these kind of gaudy numbers in Aberdeen because he's going up a level. Aberdeen is a pitcher's park, and it's a pitcher's league. And Michael Elias has said that yesterday. Essentially, don't expect him. We How many times have we said on this podcast, Brendan, we've seen guys struggle in Aberdeen? Yeah. We saw Gunnar Henderson struggle. We saw Colton Kowser struggle. We've seen top prospects seemingly to our eyes hit a wall, and their counting numbers don't look as good. 
But if you look at the advanced numbers and you look at some of the numbers the Orioles have access to that we don't, I expect Jackson Holiday to continue to perform well. Yeah, I'm not going to expect a 523 on base percentage <laughs> in Aberdeen or for him to hit 392, but I also wouldn't be all that shocked if Jackson Holiday is still getting on base at like a 375, 400 clip. Yeah. Because his plate approach is just that good. As you said, I'm still not expecting it though. The pitchers are going to be better, they have a better command of the strike zone. Jackson Holiday is not going to be able to punish as many mistakes as he probably saw in Delmarva. Pitches are not going to miss as much as they did in Delmarva. And we talked with, you know, guys like Judd Fabian, Dylan Beavers down in Aberdeen about a week ago. It's interesting to hear how their mentality changes too at that park. I mean, Judd Fabian, yeah. his nickname was Juddy Jacks. Like the guy hits home runs and he was saying in Aberdeen, like, yeah, you're just trying to hit to the gaps here because it's hard to hit home runs in Aberdeen. Jackson Holiday, not really a power hitter anyway. He's probably going to continue to hit for gap-to-gap power, and if the home runs come, great. I'm still expecting great things from him. Not these kinds of numbers, but still good things. And I'm curious to see where he plays defensively, because we saw him play eight games at shortstop, five games at second base when he was with Delmarva this season. I think the Orioles are playing Jackson Holiday where they see him fitting the best, but he hasn't played any games at third base yet. When we saw guys like Gunnar Henderson make his way through the lower levels of the minor league, he was playing a lot of shortstop, a lot of third base. Wasn't until he got up to Norfolk that they really tried him at second base. It appears the Orioles view Holiday more as a shortstop second base. Yeah. And I also think this kind of folds nicely into the Orioles' long-term plans. Because they have so many guys right now between current big leaguers and prospects on the left side of the infield, between Jorge Mateo, Gunnar Henderson, Joey Ortiz, Jordan Westberg, they've got Kobe ga- Mayo, Kobe Mayo, Ramon Arias. They've got guys on the left side of the infield for the next two, three years, and maybe even longer than that, that they feel comfortable with. I don't know what the combination is going to be, what the best combination is going to be at the big leagues. But it seems like the bigger long-term need might be at second base. Yeah. And so if Jackson Holiday can play a quality shortstop, that's excellent. But Joey Ortiz might be your best defensive shortstop in the system. Jorge Mateo might really be this good and have gold glove caliber defense at shortstop on top of being a quality hitter. So I think they're, they feel good about the talent that they have at shortstop and third base. So if Jackson Holiday is your long-term second baseman, just because you have other better defensive players at shortstop and third base, not the end of the world. Yeah, and two guys that you didn't even mention that he'll be playing with, you've got Freddie Ben Cosme, yeah. who is one of your better shortstop prospects in the system, at shortstop, more than likely in Aberdeen. And then at third base, you've got Max Wagner, who is a top 50 pick in last year's draft. And I'm not saying that you are going to value the development of Freddie Ben Cosme and Max Wagner over the development of Jackson Holiday. Obviously, Holiday becomes the priority in Aberdeen in terms of where you want to put him defensively for his development. But it's at least worth noting that you have two top 15 prospects in your system who are pretty cemented in the left side of the infield. Ben Cosme can probably move around from shortstop and third base. Talked with Max Wagner last week. He said he's been getting a lot of time at second base and first base. I would imagine that Holiday, Ben Cosme, and Wagner 
have a pretty solid rotation of playing second, shortstop, and third. All three of those guys might play all three of those positions this year for Aberdeen, too. Yeah, and talk about one guy that the Orioles are going to make room for, and they're going to prioritize the development of Haston Kerstad. Yes. Elias said last night on the broadcast uh, that, paraphrasing here, but essentially if Haston Kerstad keeps hitting the ball the way that he's been hitting the ball, there's really not a need to keep him down in double-A buoy for that much longer. And he said, we'll make room for Heston Kerstad when asked by, I can't remember if it was Jim Palmer or Kevin Brown, about whether or not he was, you know, there was enough room for him in Norfolk because of the amount of talent there. He said, we'll make room. I think there is room right now. They have Heston Kerstad, you know, on his way. But right now in AAA, they've got Daz Cameron, who's on the roster. They've got Shane Fontana, who's on the roster there. Hudson Haskin, unfortunately, has uh, our guy, Brendan, has hit the IL with a left hamstring strain. I think Cameron or Fontana could be, you know, somebody who is on the outs there if the Orioles, if and when the Orioles decide to bump Heston Kerstad up. But exciting to hear that Heston Kerstad, it may not be long for double-A buoy. Heston Kerstad's not going to play in the majors this year, right? If he, I mean, like, we're talking coming into the year, it felt like there was no way. It's April 25th, and we're talking about him being bumped up to Norfolk. It hasn't happened yet, but we're talking about it. Yeah, because he's mashing and Bowie. Yeah. He's got a 981 OPS in 13 games. He's got, what, five homers so far in this point? Yeah. And it's not just the Bowie numbers. We've said this all offseason long. At the end of last year, he was putting up some great numbers in Aberdeen. As they were in the playoffs, he was doing some really great things. And then he goes to the Arizona Fall League and is the best player in the Arizona Fall League. Absolutely mashes there. Then he goes to Major League Spring Training and spends a much longer time there than we thought he would because he just kept tearing the cover off the ball. I mean, it felt like every time we talked about Heston Kerstad in spring training, he was hitting like 500. Yeah. And so it's not surprising to me that he has an unbelievable OPS in Bowie. I mean, there's a reason that this guy was the number two overall pick. Obviously, you know, the two years where he wasn't able to play have been well documented, but he's just come back in such a strong and impressive fashion that I'm not even surprised that he is playing this well in Bowie. Yeah, and you mentioned whether or not he could play in Baltimore by season's end. Now the Orioles have a group of outfield prospects. We knew coming into the season they were going to have a group of infield prospects in Norfolk between Westberg and Ortiz and Norby. Now they have a group of outfield prospects. Yeah. Kyle Sowers made the opening day roster but was sent back down to get more playing time. Heston Kerstad could be on his way up. Colton Kowser was the international player of the week. They have three outfielders potentially in Norfolk soon who could be a step away from the big leagues. And the order of those guys is going to be interesting. Yep. Stowers is the closest to the big leagues because he's the oldest. He was drafted the earliest. He's already made his big league debut. He's already lost his prospect status. But has he now been bumped behind Colton Kowser? I don't think so. I mean, Colton Kowser is playing really well. Kyle Stowers is also playing very well in AAA Norfolk. He has an 819 OPS, which is a little bit worse than we saw from him last year. But the on-base percentage and the plate discipline is much better than we saw from him last year. He's getting on-base at a 400 clip right now. The strikeout numbers are down. I think he only has 12 strikeouts in 12 games from Norfolk. 
as opposed to 10 walks, which is great progression from Kyle Stowers. I'm yeah. sure that was a point of emphasis for him when the Orioles sent him down to AAA Norfolk that, yes, he can be a power-hitting left-handed corner outfielder, but I'm sure the Orioles also wanted to see the plate discipline improve as well so that he wasn't striking out 130 times in a season if yeah. he had a full big league year. So to see the improved plate discipline from Kyle Stowers is excellent. However, we are also seeing that from Colton Kowser, who already gets on base at a great clip. Yeah. And he's hitting for power and he's hitting for average. And we already expected him to maybe be a midseason call up somewhere over the summer. It's interesting. They're I both, think they're close. They're both lefties. Yeah. They both play a similar role as being corner outfielders. I mean, maybe... Kowser could probably play center, though. I think yeah. Kowser is a better defensive corner outfielder, certainly, and probably a better defensive center fielder as well, which yeah, you don't really probably. need in the big leagues because right. at this point you have Mullins, Hayes, McKenna, who can all play center field, but it's nice to have. Right. And the question is, though, you know, is one of those spots up for grabs? Certainly not Austin Hayes the way he's hitting the ball. It's certainly not Cedric Mullins. Maybe McKenna. Maybe McKenna. Maybe Taryn Vavra. Yeah. Who we know has gotten some time in the outfield as well. So if there's one injury, if there's one opening, who it goes to is going to be fascinating. And if there are two, then it's both those guys. But in the meantime, they're just going to marinate in AAA. Yeah. I mean, Richard on YouTube commenting, very pleasant problem to have. It and is. Again, not that it's a problem, but... We are at a logjam right now. Yeah. Because you have, as you mentioned, say there is an injury in the Orioles outfield. Maybe that doesn't happen right now because I think this is probably too early for Colton Kowser or Heston Kerstad to be a part of that conversation. Yeah. But let's say there's an injury that happens in July in the Orioles outfield. There's a very good possibility that you have to decide whether to call up Kyle Stowers, Colton Kowser, or maybe even Heston Kerstad at that point. Yeah. The same thing can be said about the Orioles infield right now. <laughs> we saw it almost happen with Ramon Rios mm. when, you know, he had the scary ball to the face. We didn't know if he was going to have to go on the injured list. Didn't know if Jorge Mateo was going to have to go on the injured list. Both those guys are fine, thankfully. We already saw Joey Ortiz get pulled from the Norfolk lineup, but that was just because Jordan Westberg was dealing with a back injury. We think. We think that's only because. Uh, more than likely because. Maybe, maybe if Westberg was healthy, right. they would go with Ortiz anyway. But Westberg wasn't an option yeah. at that point because he was injured. But still, if an injury happens in the infield right now, <laughs> are you going with Westberg? Are you going with Ortiz? It's a good problem, but it's still a logjam. Because eventually you're going to have to figure out where these guys go. If and when Kerstad gets promoted to AAA Norfolk, we're talking about the Orioles number three, four, Five, six, seven, and eight prospects. They're here. Being in AAA. Grayson Rodriguez is number one. He's in the big leagues. Jackson Holiday's number two. He's in high A Aberdeen. So three through eight, according to MLB Pipeline, is in Norfolk. They're here. That's not even including Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson, who were number yeah. one prospects over the last few years. So the Orioles are winning baseball games right now. They're 15 and seven. That's great. Because if the Orioles were losing baseball games right now, we'd be looking at this a whole lot differently and saying which one of these guys is going to get called up. Yeah. But right now, they don't need this. I mean, I mean, they it's a luxury at this point that they have maybe the best AAA team in the history of AAA teams because they don't need to fill any spots seemingly right now. Now, maybe things will change over the next few weeks and guys will drop off and we'll see some dips in production. Then we start having these conversations. But for right now, 
these guys, it's a similar conversation that we had in the offseason. These prospects should not be burning a hole in the Orioles' pocket. No. Because you don't have to do anything with them. So long as everybody, knock on wood, stays healthy and stays productive, and the Orioles keep winning ballgames, you don't have to worry about this. You can keep them down in Norfolk for as long as you can keep them down in Norfolk. Yeah, and we're seeing comments on Facebook as well, you know, questioning whether the Orioles could move some of these prospects for major league talent, which is a possibility. And you have that possibility because you have a lot of prospects who are close to the big league level who could be contributors pretty soon for another team if they decide to move big league talent and think that their window is a little bit further down the line. But the fact of the matter right now, Paul, is that as we are in late April, the Baltimore Orioles have the third best record in baseball with the best farm system in baseball. It's a great spot to have. It's a pretty good spot. Yeah. So maybe they make a move. Yeah. Maybe they, they still have a need for a starting pitcher. They have the starting pitching depth, certainly. Whether or not they have the top-end guys is another question. But they have the depth yeah. because they have five guys right now. Dean Kramer certainly hit a rough patch. He did yesterday against the Red Sox. They have Cole Irvin who hit his rough patch, but he's down in AAA. They feel like if they need to, he can start some games. D.L. Hall, not awesome in Norfolk right now, 440 ERA for the Tides. They have the depth. Whether or not they have the top end is to be seen. Yep. And we'll see when John Means comes back, maybe in July. But that's still the only area that I could see the Orioles really going out and taking a big swing on a star-level player. I can't see them really doing it at any other position. Can you? No, I can't. Because there isn't really another position where you either don't have high-end talent or don't have the potential for high-end talent waiting in the wings. Yeah. Because, you know, starting pitcher, as you just mentioned it's possible that they go out and trade for another guy. But even there, you have Grayson Rodriguez with high-end potential, Kyle Bradish with high-end potential. I still think D.L. Hall has high-end potential, even though he has struggled a little bit in AAA Norfolk. Catcher, you're fine. First base, you're fine. Second base, Adam Frazier is playing really well right now, and you have a bunch of middle infield prospects. Connor Norby, Jordan Westbrook, Joey Ortiz. That could all be great second baseman. Shortstop, fine. Third base, you're fine. Yeah. Austin Hayes is a high-end talent. Cedric Mullins is a high-end talent. And then Anthony Santander is a high-end talent. And you still have all the outfield prospects in AAA or AA right now. Yeah. And the thing is, this is not the time to make moves. I mean, most teams right now, if they went into the season thinking they were going to be competitive, they probably still think that. You know, teams are not punting on the season three weeks in that thought they were going to be competitive. Corbin Burns has a 450. Could, he does. Could buy low. Could, yeah, I don't nah, think that... Nah, the nah, Brewers nah. are very good right now, and yeah, I think not. they'd rather have Corbin Burns. <laughs> yeah. So, and the, the teams that, you know, went into the season thinking they'd struggle, I think teams like to hold on to those guys until they get much closer to the trade deadline to bump up the demand for these guys and the pressure. And, right. you know, th so I I don't think a move is, is on the horizon. Yeah, You don't see big blockbusters going down at the end of April at the beginning of May very often. Yeah, but the Orioles are in a very good spot where if they wanted to make a trade, you know, closer to the deadline where you have a bunch of guys succeeding at AAA and you're still in a pretty good spot record-wise, could certainly see them being buyers at the deadline. Yeah, absolutely. One more random point that I want to make is if we yeah. haven't put enough feathers in Michael Elias's cap today. <laughs> uh, a lot of fans were freaking out about Franchi Cordero because Franchi Cordero had a pretty good weekend here he did. At Oriole Park at Camden Yards, hit a few home runs. He did. Looked like a, like a solid player there. I just want to talk about Franchi Cordero's stats real quick. Sure. 
Uh, he's hitting 174 with a 208 on base percentage and a 665 OPS. Uh, in a small sample size, Ryan O'Hearn has an OPS over a thousand. A thousand. It's it's like four games or something. It's though. four games. Yeah. Um, I just I just wanted to yeah. point that out. Just okay. wanted to to kind of throw that out. Wow. There. Franchi Cordero catching strays here on the Mass and All Access podcast. Mike Elias was catching a lot of strays on a certain bird app for, you know, how could he possibly let Franchi Cordero go? He was mashing in spring training. What could the Orioles possibly be seeing with letting Franchi Cordero go to a division rival? Uh, they were seeing a hitter who hits 175. Yeah, exactly. It's worked out so far. Yeah. Anything else you want to touch on, Brennan? No, I think we've thoroughly put enough feathers yeah. in Mike Elias' cap today but rightfully so yeah third best record in baseball best farm system in baseball it's a good time to be an Orioles fan it is a good time to be an Orioles fan um Brendan real quick yeah. you want to say just on a personal note um, personal news sure <laughs> the personal news yeah uh this will be my last podcast on mass and all access uh tear rolling down Brendan's cheek I yeah. can see it um I, I'm not uh you know retiring so so don't worry about that there's more to come but um I do want to say, you know, this podcast has been the, my favorite thing that I've done at Masson over the last several years. We've done between all of our normal episodes, between the emergency episodes, the uh, special episodes, about 250 episodes. Uh, and going back to the days when I was hosting with Bobby Blanco and then I was hosting by myself during the pandemic from my parents' basement uh, and now hosting with you, Brendan, um, it has been my favorite thing because of the interaction that we get with the fans, the commenters, the listeners, the viewers every week. Um, and it's because I get to do this with one of my best friends in the world and Brendan Mortensen, um, who is staying on. He's not going anywhere. Um, and hopefully going to continue this podcast to, and bring it to even higher heights. But if you didn't already know, but if you're listening to this podcast and you're watching this podcast, Brendan is incredibly talented. He is an, a ridiculously hard worker and one of the best friends that I've had in my life. Um, and that friendship's not going to end. Not leaving anywhere. We do still live together. We do still live together. We are still roommates. However, yeah, no longer hosting this podcast. And I hope it, at some point down the, lo- the road that we get to, uh, to do something on air again together. Um, but you're in good hands, everybody. And um, it's going to be tough for me to not to get to do this and get to interact with all the uh, commenters and and viewers and all that but uh we've had some great times yeah so thank you for for listening for watching all these years thank you to matt bonaparte for producing this podcast at brendan morty is his twitter handle whoa whoa, whoa. i've got to say some nice morty, things morty. about you <laughs> no you know we can we can cut Look, this off mass and all access and this podcast specifically has grown to the heights that it has because of paul mancano and all of the hard work that you have done we have gone from hosting this podcast in our apartment, in the living room yeah. during the pandemic, uh, to these wonderful couches here in the studio, and you have still managed to bring everyone incredible Orioles content. As, as we're looking on the comments on YouTube, everyone is sad. <laughs> I am sad. This podcast will not be the same without you, Mass, and all access will not be the same without you. We have seen, you know, the Orioles grow over the last few years here into a really fun, exciting team. I think the content has has done the same, and, and you are to thank for that. So thank you, Brian. You know, we wish Paul the best in all of his future endeavors of hopefully still doing some fun Orioles things, being around 
doing great work wherever you are. So, so thank you to Paul for everything that you have done. Thank you, Brennan. I don't, I don't deserve those, but I'll, <laughs> I'll take them. Um, thank you. That's, that's very kind, Brennan. Um, all right. Cool. Well, uh, thank you to Matt Bonaparte for producing this podcast. Yeah. Uh, at Brennan Morty is his Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. I will not, but Brendan will catch you next time.